Welcome back to the Interleague Podcast, home of two of the greatest teams in Major League Baseball. We're talking championships on this on this squad. All we do is win championships on the Interleague. No one's got us on championships. You know what I'm saying, Specs? Yes, I I hear you. Right. I hear right. you. How many How many is your team won? I believe we are at 27, or they are at 27. I'm at zero. (laughs) I count all 11 as mine. Oh, fair enough. All 11. I wasn't even born for a lot of them. Only only witnessed two of them, and they're ours, you know? I hear you. Yeah, it's it's hard to to find more winning teams in the the realm of baseball than, than the two teams we happen to support the most. Imagine you grew up uh, with a team that wasn't good. Do you think you would have stayed with that team, or would you have jumped ship? Um, I, I don't know. That's a great question. Um, I I would like to think that I would kind of stick to you know that first love that I found kind of, um, but. I don't know. I mean, I guess when you're when you're younger, younger, it it really varies. A lot of times, it's just like teams you think look cool or they have that one player. I mean, I think yeah. anyone anyone my age that kind of got into baseball around the same time I did, you know, they spent uh, a portion of time, you know, being a Ken Griffey Jr. fan. Um, the Braves of the early '90s were sights to behold. Um, you know, so. So they're they're kind of all over the place. I know, like my older brother was a big like Oakland A's fan when uh, Canseco and McGuire were there, um, the Larusa, you know, Oakland teams. So like it kind of it kind of comes and goes, um, and I think you kind of settle into your own. Um, I guess the closest thing I could relate it to, uh, like I said, like when I found baseball, the Yankees were kind of what was introduced to me. Like I had family members. Uh, my dad's side of the family that were big Yankees fans. Uh, I, I, I thought it was cool that my dad was from New York and I was a big fan of Derek Jeter and then it helped that they won all the time. Um, so it was a little different with me coming into the game. Um, but like, I, I remember when I was younger, like in the, the world of hockey, um, yeah, like I, I was kind of all over the place, like this guy, like that guy. Um, I was a big, like, Eric Lindros fan with the Flyers. Um, mm. I spent some time rooting for the Rangers. Um, but oh. as I as I really started to, like, watch the game and get into it, like, I, I became more and more of, like, a hometown Blues fan. Um, and again, like, I, I always used to like the Cardinals. It was always Cardinals-Yankees World Series was the dream. Uh, it was just 2004 and then 2013 mm. that uh, – I, I had, had to ship them down the list because I was tired of them letting the Red Sox win World Series. So that's fair. Fair. Uh, well, but I, yeah, so I, 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 I was I would a ride think... or die Rams fan losing, so I would have probably rocked the Cardinals because I already rocked one team in St. Louis that lost for like ten years in a row. I mean, and, so. and we we dealt with that with the Blues. I mean, the Blues had not won a cup ever before last yeah, year. So yeah, but we went to the playoffs. Like, we were always in the playoffs. True. We were True. always in the hunt. Right? True. I mean, it wasn't – they weren't necessarily – they were unsuccessful in the, in the sense that they didn't win championships. But, yeah, I mean, they they what? There was like 24 straight years they went to right. the postseason. So. Yeah. One uh, of the greatest regular season hockey clubs that there's ever been. Yeah. Yeah, yeah so they're – so, yeah, I mean, they weren't a losing team. Um, it would be tough if I – like, 
I I would be hard pressed to continue to root for a team like if I were uh, like a Pirates fan or an Orioles fan or something like that. Like, so not only do you not really win that often, um, but you seemingly have like an ownership team that doesn't really buy into giving you a winning team. Uh, so it's just kind of like catching lightning in a bottle. I mean, the Royals probably fit that same mold. I know they won a, a World Series, you know, within the last five years, but. You know, it just it wasn't ideal. It's lightning in a bottle. Um, they were quickly forgot about. Yeah, the the Rays having their um, their flash in the pan with their success. Um, they're they're they look a lot better this year. Um, you know, recently more recent than what they did, but and they went to the World Series in 08. Um, loss of the Phillies. So I mean, you see those teams. I mean, how even like. And I guess really like the, I would say like the Blues are probably like the closest thing to like the equivalent of the Cubs in baseball. Um, so hopefully they don't have the same drop off that the Cubs did. Um, I mean the Blues obviously were were in prime position to kind of get back to the playoffs and everything before COVID nineteen kicked in. So I mean we've been number one for months. Yeah, literally just like the number one team for months now. So you know we're all right. Well, in the Western Conference, um, but. That's really, that's really all that matters. But yeah, so so like I said, I would like to think that even if I if I was a fan of a team that was a losing team, um, I would kind of ride it out with them, um, just kind of have that you know unreasonable confidence going into the beginning of each season, even yeah. though you know it's going to end yeah. miserably. <laughs> Um, and still be mad when it ends miserably. Yeah. Cause you're like looking at all these steps. Like if we would have done this differently, yeah. if they would have put this picture in, what is Matheny doing? You know? Yeah. It's so, I mean, it's, it's rough times, but I mean, like I said, I, I would think that the Cardinals have been a relatively successful team and through, you know, throughout our time frame as, you know, baseball fans, you know, like the wild card era that we've really just focused on like that 95 through present day. Um, I, I would think the Cardinals have been one of the more successful franchises in in baseball. Um, but even they went through, I mean, before last year, you know, with their kind of unexpected run um, into the NLCS, they hadn't made the playoffs for three years prior to that. And you didn't really see attendance drop or anything like that. Like, the sky was never falling. Um, it was just about, like, moves need to be made or, like, the kids need to play. Um, you know, just holding Pat was no longer acceptable. Um, and I think that that's a big portion with, like, where you see, um, like, when you have a fandom that kind of gets behind that mindset, it makes it a little easier. Um, I do have a couple friends that are Royals fans, and they're kind of the same way. Uh, they they Their outlook on, like, opening day for the Kansas City Royals, their outlook is just as optimistic as mine as a Yankees fan. Um, yeah, they know expectations probably aren't as high. Um, if the Royals were to make the playoffs, it would probably be considered a really, really positive year. If the Yankees made the playoffs and lost in the wild card game, I'd be pissed the fuck off. So, right. um, so I mean, expectations are definitely different, uh, but you go into it with that optimism. Um, and it's a grind. It's a marathon. Uh, baseball's not for the, the week of heart, but, uh, yeah, I, I would like to think I would write it out. I've just been fortunate enough that a team I fell in love with, um, that I knew a little about, uh, was pretty awesome. And then the more I learned about the franchise, I just, I enjoy all things Yankees. There's a lot of cool stories. The Yankee mystique in general is, uh, pretty amazing. So it, it's, it's been, it's been cool to like have, 
have so much happen for a franchise that I that I enjoy as much as I do. Very true. Uh, right, but yeah, now that I totally sidetracked this, you want yeah. to get into uh, actual podcast? Or... Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think I think that's a great opening segment. That'll be our mm-hmm. new that'll be our new introduction. I can just riff about how great the we can riff about how great the Cardinals and the Yankees are every week for the first ten minutes that we go live. I, I mean, our bio on Twitter says we talk baseball and stuff. So. Yeah, so it's it's fine. Um, but yeah, so tonight. Uh, not not a whole lot on our on the the checklist on the agenda that I got. Um, you know, uh, we'll we'll real quick run through our simulation update, kind of check in with like how our boys are doing in the the baseball reference simulated 2020 season. Um, obviously, uh, Rob Manfred and the owners uh, kept to their part of the agreement uh, to have updates. Uh, MLBPA had. Same thing. Uh, we hit them up, let them know that we we record on Monday nights. So if they could make all of the most recent updates available to us prior to us recording, uh, that would be great. And they came through in a big way. So we'll have some discussions on that. Shout out MLB. <laughs> um, and then we'll uh, we'll get back on track. Uh, we we took a one episode hiatus to uh, try to give the MLB draft its due diligence. Um, there really isn't much to be said about it. Um, <laughs> to, to, sum it up, to sum it up, we yeah. To sum it up, we both agree that the best thing that could happen to the MLB draft is that it it mimics <laughs> what happened in 2020 over anything in the in the future. Um, it it just isn't as relevant right now. You're even the guys that got drafted. You're probably not going to see them make an impact until 2022, 2023. Uh, so there's going to be so much baseball to be talked about. Um, and then there's always the possibility that deals get made and you trade a guy to bring in, you know, someone different to make an impact now. So maybe they'll get talked about before then, but, um, you know, no one heard about Mike Trout till Mike Trout started, you know, till he put on an Angels jersey. So it just, there's, there's not a whole lot. Baseball's a, a, in a, in a realm of its own when it comes to their draft and the impact the draft actually has. You know who they did hear about though? What was it Randall Grichik that was drafted higher than Mike Trout? Something like that. Uh, it wasn't it when I think it was him because when he came over, everybody was like, "Well, he got drafted higher than Trout," and I'm like, "Okay, yeah. but like Trout's like a once in a lifetime baseball player. You can easily see that. Like, you know, there's no questioning that. I don't think Randall Grichik is a once in a lifetime baseball player. Not like horrible. I don't mind him. He's just people in St. Louis ate that up. Yeah. It- it was definitely there was something along those lines. I don't know if it was Grichik because Grichik also signed was drafted by Anaheim or L.A. initially by the Angels, um, but we can. I I'm pretty sure Trout went like seventh overall, so six people were taken before him that probably shouldn't have been. Uh, but you you never know. I mean, look how many people went in front of Derek Jeter. So sometimes you just you don't know. Um, you think you do, but you don't. Um, I'm trying, I don't even remember like what year he got drafted. 2009, Randall Gritchard got drafted 24th and Mike Trout got drafted 25th. Yeah. They were both compensation picks. Gotcha. Both by LA. Yeah. They had compensation three and compensation four. And the compensation four was the pick from the Yankees for Mark Textura. So they got Mark Textura for Mike Trout good deal yeah i did know that that was the case but i thought it was earlier in the draft that he went but yeah 
Yeah, I mean, the Cardinals also took Shelby Miller before yeah. Mike Trout. Uh, yeah, so yeah like that's because pitching. Like, we just have to take pitching. <laughs> yeah, I mean. What do we, we need another outfielder for in 2009? We only drafted all of them. Right. So yeah. None we do. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I can't, like the Diamondbacks took, you know, A.J. Pollock before that. Uh, Aaron Crow was drafted before Mike Trout. He pitched at Missouri. Yep. So, you know, sometimes you just miss. <laughs> like, like it, it happens. Um, yeah. This is actually probably a fun activity to go through drafts and just. Oh yeah, and like and re redraft drafts, like knowing what you know now. Yeah, yeah. It, it would be interesting. I would imagine the MLB has a a lot more misses than they do hits. Oh, one hundred percent. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so. So maybe future episode we can get into it, but uh, we'll also get back into uh, tonight for uh, our all wildcard era teams. Um, we'll be uh, making the selection for our third baseman. Uh, so it'll be the the fifth piece of the puzzle uh, for our all wildcard era teams. Uh, but I guess first, real quick, we can run through, um, you know, what's probably the most realistic depiction of what the 2020 season would have looked like. Pretty much. Uh, you know, like if you look at the stats, you look at the numbers. I mean, it just seems like it just resonates that hey, this is this is accurate. Um, yep. So through, so I, I altered some numbers around so that way we could keep it kind of updated because they put the they play the the games or post the scores like first thing in the morning. So this is standings through June twenty first. So through yesterday, um, the Cardinals are fifty and twenty seven. Um, they. Uh, had, they played uh, six games last week, um, all at home, three against Colorado, three against Cincinnati. Uh, they went three and three in those games. Uh, they got swept by the Rockies uh, and then swept Cincinnati over the weekend. Uh, but they're first place in the NL Central by a huge margin. Um, they're, nine and a half games? Yeah, nine, nine and a half games up on Milwaukee, uh, 12 and a half up on Pittsburgh, 16 and a half up on Cincinnati, and the Chicago Cubs just sucking it up 21 and a half games back um, yeah. three weeks into june just cincinnati getting no love on that team yeah and i'm in i'm in your camp i think they're like a way better team already than they were last year and i think they were a pretty good team last year like uh i think they'll find something there it's just yeah they i think they'll beat up in the in the central so they just need to beat the pittsburgh's the chicago's yeah, it'll, it'll definitely take a little bit for things to get going, but they signed some guys long-term, so hopefully they just stick with it. Um, they they remind me a lot of the Phillies. I think the Phillies yeah. are a really, really good team on paper, um, and last year they went 81 and 81. Um, I just, and then I just they, think the Phillies have Bryce Harper, so they probably won't win anything. So. That's, that, might, that might be true. I mean, that may be the case, uh, but I felt they were a really good team last year. Um, they didn't have the greatest of shortstop. Uh, they had Gene Segura playing there, um, and I think that he fits in better at second base. Um, and they added Didi Gregorius, who obviously I'm a big fan of. I uh, played a lot of great years in New York uh, with the Yankees. So I, I think that the infield in Philadelphia is arguably one of the best on paper uh, in 2020. So it'll be interesting to see like what that Phillies team can actually do. Um, so as good as the Cardinals have been playing, um, like I said, they did go 500 over the last week, um, and Milwaukee actually cut the lead down to 9.5. It was 10 games uh, last time we checked in last Monday. Uh, so going in the wrong direction, but at this point when you're, you know, what, 
they're 23 games above 500 and they have a double digit lead, you know, late in the June. Uh, at this point, you just want the Cardinals to kind of split with everybody and they'll probably cakewalk two division win. Yeah, you're giving off days to players yeah. all the time. Um, yeah. they, they do have the second best record in the NL. So, of course, like that home field advantage will matter. Um, the Dodgers are the only team in front of them. Um, and it's the, uh, I think they're, I think the Cardinals are technically third in the majors now, uh, cause I think Cleveland has passed them, um, or they're like tied in games, uh, in record, but Cleveland, like the Cardinals have a couple games in hand or something like that. I'll see that here in a second. Uh, but the Dodgers, they, they legitimately have like video game stats. Uh, they're 59 and 19. Uh, right now. So the Cardinals are 23 games above 500 and they're like, they're 10 games back behind the Dodgers. Like it's ridiculous that, you know, the, the, the Dodgers are 40 games above 500 right now. Um, so I guess they're, they're upset about not winning the world series each of the last three years. And they probably should have. Um, but, uh, yeah. So 59 and 19, uh, everyone's probably uh, super happy out there in L.A. with what their Dodgers are doing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'd imagine. Um, and then, so the Yankees, uh, they're also playing pretty good baseball. Uh, they are 48-30. and 30. Uh, They went 5-1 and one over this last week. They swept two games uh, at Pittsburgh and then took three out of four from Minnesota on the road. Uh, they're also first in, the, in their division in the AL East. Um, eight and a half games up on Tampa Bay, 14 games up on Toronto or on Boston, 15 up on Toronto and 17 games up on Baltimore. Um, and they expanded their division lead by one game. Um, and they are now, I think last week when we looked at it, they were like tied for fourth, um, with Oakland and they were behind like Cleveland and Seattle. Uh, but they have leaped in front of Seattle and they're, uh, just uh, uh like two games back or two and a half games back behind Cleveland. Uh Cleveland's fifty one and twenty eight. So yeah, they're they're dead even with the Cardinals technically, uh from a games back standpoint, but the Cardinals have uh less games played, so better win percentage most likely. Um these pitching stats from the Dodgers. Yeah, dude, Kershaw and Walker Bueller's numbers are dumb. Dude, even David Price has got a two point five eight. He's nine and one. Yeah, like I think they, I think they've combined for like twenty seven wins between the three of them. Um, I yeah. think Bueller and Kershaw are both undefeated, or at least the last time I looked, they were. Maybe uh, they're Bueller, eight now. Bueller's eight and two, and Kershaw's eight. Sorry now, but your boy Trevor Rosenthal, don't worry, holding that seven point eight forty. All right, baller, <clears throat> really killing it. Gonna you know hopefully win a ring at that year. Um, so if if baseball were playing like normal. Uh, the Cardinals would be opening up a seven-game road trip uh, starting tonight uh, with four in Miami, and then they would be spending the weekend in Boston uh, taking on the Red Sox. Um, the Yankees would be opening up a six-game homestand uh, with three games against Baltimore starting tonight, and then they have sh- uh, the Cubs coming to town over the weekend. So our teams are playing the opposite's rivals uh, this weekend. So hopefully uh, we're uh, both riding some winning streaks coming in the next next week's episode um yeah because if we don't beat boston you'll like disown us for like uh, another 10 years or something so. yeah i will be pretty upset i uh, mean they're they, a scrub team yeah they're definitely scrub. yeah the <clears throat> their pitching staff's abysmal i was really looking forward to them being at the bottom of the barrel <laughs> uh, this year um 
the the Cubs being as bad as they are in the simulation is is legit surprising to me. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it'll be pretty funny to see like how how bad that actually gets. I mean, um, they didn't hire a coach; they hired their best friend. You know, true, true. There's like a there's like a way different scenario there. So, um, so yeah. So the only other thing that I kind of that I got into was also taking a look at like what transactions took place. Uh, so this is for the week of uh, June fifteenth through the twenty first. Um, there really wasn't anything of note on the Cardinal side. Um, not a whole lot on the Yankee side. Basically, a whole lot of like minor league guys that were signed or released. Um, I'm assuming that it had to do with like their simulation being like what the draft would have looked like. Uh, yeah. So picking up like signing a whole bunch of undrafted guys, releasing a whole bunch of guys, stuff like that. Uh, so the only thing of note was uh, Domingo Herman was activated off the 60-day injured list uh, following the completion of his suspension. Um, the domestic abuse stuff that he got popped with at the end of 2019. He had served like 17 games there. And then the remainder of like an 81 game suspension had to be served this year. Um, so having him come off, he's a up and coming young pitcher for the Yankees. So it actually will be nice to add him to the rotation. Um, hopefully he figured out whatever's going on. Cause dude shouldn't put his hands on his wife. It's pretty, pretty simple. Just True. don't, don't act like a knucklehead and you'll be all right. Uh, you know, stay in uniform, cost yourself a bunch of money and maybe a shot at the rotation. Uh, if Jordan Montgomery, you know, were to perform, you know, in, in real life, if Montgomery comes out and he's having a great year, like Domingo Herman might've cost him, cost himself a starting, starting pitcher spot for the New York Yankees because of a dumb decision. So maybe be better than that. Yeah. But yeah, so all in all, our teams are kicking ass, taking names, and yep. loving you know, it. Loving our, it. Our coasting on their way into uh, you know another year of postseason appearances for our guys. Yeah, uh, and I think you brought it up right before we started that if baseball actually starts um, and they do the simulation, we continue the simulation. I think I'm on board. Yeah, I'm having a lot of fun with it, and it gives us a backup in case the the shortened season with whatever it may look like ends up being crap, you know, a crap fest for us. At least we have the simulation to fall back on, and we can root for our guys there. Sure. Uh, so no, I agree. I agree. As long as Baseball Reference continues to post the information, um, even when the when the actual league starts back up, um, I will be happy to continue to keep the segment in. Uh, maybe we'll we'll cut down on some of the information. Um, that gets shared um, as like the schedule and stuff like that. Like it'll just kind of be a, a check in on where we're at um, yeah. and focus mainly on the actual season. Uh, but it'll be fun to, to check in until all, one of our teams drop off and then we can stop talking about it. <laughs> so, um, yeah. But yeah, I think I think with that, that's a pretty good segment. in. we had talked about that. Uh, we'll kind of get into the status update. Um, I'm sure for. For anyone listening to this, has likely followed pretty closely uh, with what's going on uh, in the the world of MLB, and there's quite a bit of progress over the weekend. Um, but at the same time, there's no progress over the weekend. Um, but I think it, at least what happened with all the different things that took place was we kind of know what to expect moving forward and like what next steps will be. Um, and I imagine, you know, when we record our next episode um, next week, the, it will be discussing, you know, what what what's happening with MLB. 
um, like when the season's gonna start up and all that good stuff. Um, sounds like we're on a ti- it sounds like we're on a timeline of like next Wednesday we're gonna be reporting. Not next, not this Wednesday. Next, uh, next yeah, Wednesday. the the first is what the owners wanted. So, so for anyone that isn't aware, um, we can recap it real quick. Um, so basically, uh, mid to late last week, the MLB owners made an offer. Um, and well, and I guess it really wasn't MLB owners, but Rob Manfred, Commissioner of Baseball, met with Tony Clark, uh, head of the MLBPA, and they kind of had a one-on-one conversation. Uh, Manfred had reported he felt pretty confident that uh, an agreement had kind of come to in that conversation um, that was center, center, centralized around, Jesus, I don't know why I struggled to say that, centralized around a 60-game schedule where players would get full prorated salaries, um, expanded playoffs for 2020 and 2021, and a promise on both sides that no grievances would be filed. Um, and then it also would incorporate the universal DH for 2020 and 2021. Um after that conversation, then it came out like our after it was reported that Manfred felt an agreement had you know kind of like was the framework was there, uh, MLBPA kind of pooped all over that and they're like no like we want 70 games, and they just kind of upped it by that 10 games, um, and then what I guess it was Friday that the owners came back and they're like we're not even going to make a counter offer, our offers on the table you can accept it or decline it. Um, you know, we're, we're, we're not going to continue to do this dance around. Like, if you don't want to do this, then we'll just leave it up to Manfred to institute a schedule like that he sees fit and we'll go from there. Uh, is that about sum it up? Did I miss anything for, for what led us up to the weekend? Uh, yeah, no, I think we're good. Um, just got the, you know, hot Trevor Bauer takes on the other monitor too. (laughs) Nice. Yeah, yeah Trevor, Trevor like Bauer is... Ago. He's fucking posting more. Here we go. Um, yeah, go ahead. What, what What's Bauer outage got to say? Oh, oh, what does it say? Um, so he said, so we gave up shares of playoff money, eliminating the qualifying offer for 2021, paycheck advance forgiveness, COVID-19 protections, and protection for non-guaranteed arbitration contracts for next year in order to hold our on to our right to file a grievance. And then it's like the thinking face emojis. So, <laughs> yeah. So, so Trevor Bauer, I, like, I guess it's hard to say for sure where he's at. Um, he's, he's been one of the more vocal players. Um, and if you, if you don't follow him, uh, you should, if you're not on the Twitters, um, at least just like Google it, check it out. Uh, it's at Bauer outage, B A U E R, uh, outage. Um, he, he has a lot of good points and he speaks pretty openly. Um, and from a player's perspective, like it's kind of a refreshing take on it. Um, basically his Twitter feed has been like riddled throughout the day of accountability being put on to both sides of this. And that this has just been so detrimental to the game um, that if people wanted to use this as a labor argument, they should, the time for that would have been after the 2021 season um, and how like they've just done such irreparable damage to the game itself by letting these seemingly petty things dictate what happens next in this, the saga of baseball returning to play. Uh, so it's, it's been, I, I think it's been a very refreshing take on what he's had to say. Um, Chris and I are actually going to, going to try to slide into his DMS. 
Uh, yeah. He said if you want to talk in private about it, like he he didn't want to put all of his players on his fellow players on blast. But if you wanted to talk to him privately about him, to shoot him a message. I don't know if he meant, like, if you're buddies with him, but if you're going to put that out on social media, he's probably going to get blown up by a whole bunch of people. So <laughs> we we're, might as well be one of them. But, yeah, so we might as well be one of them, and we're going to try to put together, like, a well-thought-out approach to it and uh, just kind of let them know what we're all about, like, where our head's at. And maybe it'll turn into a conversation, and it'll be something cool to share next week. Uh, so we'll see how that goes. Um, but, yeah, so, th- so all of that back and forth kind of led us to the weekend. Um it was kind of an understood thing that the MLBPA was going to vote on on the, the quote-unquote final MLB owner's offer on Sunday. Um, but then that hit a uh, delay due to various COVID-19 outbreaks surrounding spring training facilities. So if you hadn't heard about that, um, there were like over 40 positive different tests uh, over 40 different tests that came back positive for COVID-19 uh, yep. across like 10 or more different spring training facilities. And the MLB turned around and they shut down all spring training facilities in Arizona and Florida until they could be disinfected. Um, so like the Mets and the Yankees, for example, uh, they took their training regimen uh, back to New York and are just working out like in the New York City area. Um, I don't think they're actually at their home ballparks, but they're in the general vicinity. Um, and that's what a lot of other teams did as well. Um, so on Sunday, um, right before that, they, they were going to go ahead and vote anyway, from my understanding. Um, but Manfred sent an email um, after having a conversation with Tony Clark again on the side, stating that if... Uh, like that they had made a few tweaks to the offer. So after the MLB owners were like, we're not going to make any further offers. This is our final offer. You know what it is. Agree to it or not. Just vote on it. They balked at that again. And Manfred made some tweaks. And <laughs> basically that if the 2020 season were not completed, then the revisions for 2021 would go away. So like expanded playoffs, the universal DH rule, the things that were going to affect the 2021 season would just basically be negated. Um, so I, I thought that that was a really interesting play having not really been a, like, obviously I, I haven't been at any of the meetings that are going on. I don't really know what they're arguing for, what they're arguing against, but stuff like the expanded playoffs were talked about on both sides. So I could see the owners being like, Hey, we won't expand the playoffs. Um, which would mean from a player standpoint that there's less playoff games that need to be played uh, because they don't get any of that compensation. Like there's no revenue sharing in that regard. So if the MLB sells more postseason games, the players aren't going to see any of that money. So it was literally just a means for the MLB owners to make more money off of the league. Um, so I could see the players being like, cool, we don't have to play for, for, we don't have to play more games now. Great. You know, like there's not this weird scenario of one season that's played with a different postseason than everything else. Got it. We're, we're on board with it. But at the same time, I would assume that there's some sort of playoff bonus structure that would be incorporated into the teams that make it. So more teams making the playoffs would be more players are eligible for that playoff bonus money and would in turn make more money. So I don't know why the players would necessarily be against it. Like I, I don't, I, I have a hard time seeing why that sweetened the pot. Yeah. And then the other yeah. side of it, the universal DH was instituted by the players. And I think it, the players, like from what I've read, the players are going to want to argue for the universal DH 
in the 2021 CBA anyway. So, like, to remove it, like, that defeats the purpose of what they wanted. Like, it being instituted for the 2020 and 2021 seasons basically made it a shoe-in to exist within the CBA. Like, to right. see how it would work and have it be. But, I mean, it's 15 additional everyday batter spots that are going to play. Um, you're no longer going to have to worry about pitchers being injured. Um you're going to be able to see more incentive-laden contracts that have to do with innings pitched and stuff like that, where you know pitchers don't have to worry about being pulled late game or early for you know for uh, a pinch hitter or whatever. Um, you're going to have the NL extremists that are like, it, it takes away from managing from the game, but no one pays to see a pitcher bat. It shouldn't happen. It's the dumbest thing that happens in baseball that they play with two different rules uh, in the same league. The DH needs to just be a thing in, in every game, and this madness needs to stop. So I feel like the players would agree with that. So, again, the owners being like, hey, if the season gets cut short, we're going to take away these things from 2021. I feel like that's detrimental to the player's perspective. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it's like I could be wrong, but I I just don't I don't see it that way. Like, I don't see why the Players Association would have an issue with either one of those things. So it was just kind of like... Uh, like, a, hey, like, we're, we're going to do this other thing. It's like, it, again, it just seemed like we're going to repackage the same offer and we're, we just want everyone to see that we're doing things and we're trying to make deals and we're trying to make this work. But really, they're just, you know, put it in a different color wrapping paper and saying, like, hey, we got you something else. And they really did if, if you have a DH, how many, like, do you have a somewhat expanded uh, uh, roster? Or do you just have to now fit that DH in? Because I guess the roster sizes between the NL and the AL are the same. Yeah, they're identical. Yeah, so I Yeah, so that wouldn't matter. So it's not like they're adding more players to a dugout or an area. Or yeah. So like that. yeah. So tip and typically, and they were they. So because of the condensed schedule, um, they were already talking about roster increases anyway, that the 2020 season would be played with uh, 30-man rosters, which is four more than what would typically be there because uh, they do have the expanded rosters. Um, cause they, so they expanded to 26 uh, position are 26 rostered players now instead of 25. And a lot of that comes in the back of that pitchers are going to have to pitch the three batter minimum um, or finish the inning. So you might see pitchers that aren't able to be utilized back to back days as often. So they offset that by expanding out the roster by one spot. So you can kind of carry a, on a, another pitcher. Um, typically you would see like the major difference when it was just a 20 fan, uh, 25 man roster, it's like 2019, for example, typically you would see an NL team carry 13 pitchers and 12 position players. And in the AL, it was swapped. You would carry 13 position players and 12 pitchers. Uh, this is normally the, the big difference, but you would have that everyday DH spot. So you had another batter that was getting at bats all the time. So you weren't, you didn't have as many guys sitting on the bench, not getting playing time. Um, yeah. So that, that was the, the big concern, but them playing by different rules never made any sense to me. So anyway, so that that's how the MLB owners sweetened the pot. It was like, hey, we'll get rid of the expanded playoffs and we'll get rid of the universal DH for next season if we can't finish out this year. Uh, because everyone, obviously, there's still concerns and there are very real concerns over a second outbreak uh, of COVID-19 could just as easily shut everything down. Um, you've seen it like the like multiple NHL teams have reported positive tests. Multiple MLB teams have reported positive tests. Um, the only the only league I haven't really heard anything from is the NBA. And in all honesty, I think they're the ones doing it properly. 
um, that they're just having everything being housed in Orlando. Um, Disney owns ESPN. ESPN's going to have the rights to the NBA games, and all of the games are being played at Walt Disney World in Orlando. Um, so everything's just kind of quarantined into this little area. Uh, it's what I felt hockey should have done. It's what baseball should have done. Um, I get the players didn't want to be quarantined away from their loved ones for you know four or five six months it's a long ass time to kind of be on the road essentially uh but i i think at you know to minimize your health risk it, it could be worth it um you know if they were willing to do something like that who knows what like how many games they're able to get in um stuff like that so neither here nor there um but covid19 another outbreak or a second outbreak uh, definitely a very real threat to the, the season being completed, uh, especially as we get back into like that typical flu season in the U.S. Uh, towards like the end of October anyway, when they plan on playoffs going on. So if that gets slowed down at all, then, you know, it, it uh, could very easily just kind of wrap everything up. Yeah. Um, so um, with all of that, the... They ended up pushing back, and they, the players' union did not vote yesterday. Uh, they did vote today. Um, I think it happened at, like, 4 p.m. our time, like 5 p.m. Eastern. They had a conference call, um, and almost unanimously the, the proposal was voted down, uh, 33 to 5 in favor of it not being approved. Um so immediately it was just no next steps are just going to be that Manfred designates the length of the season and grievances are filed by both sides against the opposing side due to failure to negotiate in good faith based on what took place in March with very minimal information known about what COVID-19 was actually going to bring to the table. Um, so it just seems really silly that that's the route it's going to go. Um, so the owners as well tonight unanimously voted to allow Manfred to impose a season on the players. Um, I believe they're expecting it to be like a 60 game season. So similar to what like their final offer was. Um, but to Chris's point with like the deadline of what they have. Tomorrow, tomorrow until, five, until 5 PM, I think. Yeah. So, and so there's like a couple different sticking points. Like um, they have like the players have to agree, like, there, there's a couple factors that the players can still sign off on. Um, in order for there to be an expanded playoffs for 2020 um, or any changes in, to the rules, like a universal DH, stuff like that, the players have to sign off on that. Otherwise, the game has to be played as is. Um, the only thing that Manfred really had the ability to do to institute without without the players say at all was the number of games that would be played and when that like what that schedule would look like. Um, so the players union have the ability to say that they can report for spring training July 1st, which would be, uh, not, um, not this coming Wednesday, but the following Wednesday. Um, and then I would imagine the season would probably start up, excuse me, I had to clear my throat. Um, would probably start up a couple weeks after that. Um, I think like July 19th is a, a, a day that I saw float around quite a bit. It's, uh, three weeks. Yeah. Yeah, it's like the 19th or 20th. I I imagine they would start, like, typically baseball usually starts on, like, a Thursday. Um, so you have, like, that opening day, and then you could have a day off and then play over the weekend or open with a four-game set, something along those lines. So I could see, I would see probably that time frame, like, 
July 17th to like July 20th, somewhere in that ballpark is when I would imagine the season would start. Um, and yeah, that'd be like a two and a half week spring training kind of thing. Spring training 2.0 to get spun up. Um, uh, but the big part of it as well is that players have to agree to the health and safety protocol. And I think like you and I have talked about it. We might've talked about it in passing on previous episodes, but basically like they, like the owners kind of want it to be like, Hey, like you run the risk of getting, getting COVID-19. And if you do like your SOL, like you're on your own, the baseball can't be held responsible. Like the MLB can't be held responsible for you getting this. Um, I believe they have it worked in that like if you're if you're an, a high risk uh, person as a player or you lived with or you live with a loved one or like or an immediate family member that is considered high risk, then you're able to opt out of participating in the league and you still receive full service time and your full prorated salary. Um, but if you are not or you don't live like you don't qualify underneath that, you can also opt out, but you don't receive service time and you don't receive your you don't receive your pay at all so it seems kind of shitty um i know that like the the health and safety like protocol guidelines that they sent out that was like 70 pages like this manifesto of like all the things you can't do now um it seems to have it pretty well covered um i think a bigger portion of it it might just be that like i think it's going to be really petty and really hard to enforce all that stuff so if it, it would be easier to say like hey like you're you're at your own risk to just kind of do whatever you want to do but mlb's not going to be held responsible like here's all the suggestions we're going to try to enforce but we understand that this isn't going to be ideal um so if we can just get you to sign off saying like you're not going to hold us responsible then cool yeah and i think we've talked about that like i think other sports are doing that too i think baseball's negotiation negotiation has just been so wild that like even this seems like a, probably a bigger deal than it is. Yeah, because uh, these players obviously want to play; they want to get paid. I don't think they're too much worried about like they're generally healthy people. Like, I think if one of them gets it, like it's probably not going to be life threatening. It might suck, but so I think there's some risk reward things there. But I think it's just a, a kind of a shitty spin on a shitty situation that was probably really if you logically thought about it had to be something the, M- the MLB has to protect themselves from right because then it's just like class action lawsuit after class action lawsuit of like i got sick because you made me play and all this crap so right yeah and so <clears throat> the the last thing will be like i know um both sides had talked about like promising that there would just be no grievances filed um i don't know that that'll amount to anything um basically what it'll what will happen is like what the grievances are are the MLBPA saying like, Hey, the, the owners didn't negotiate in good faith because they didn't try to play the greatest number of games possible. And the owners are going to say that the players union didn't negotiate in good faith because there was more information provided and like fans not being welcomed, like being allowed at the game, stuff like that changed the dynamic of what they had discussed in March. And they were, no one was, neither side was willing to kind of budge off of what they had initially talked about, which I think is kind of a dick move on both sides. Um, The concern that the owners will have is that there would be, a large cost and, you know, legal fees alone. Um, and then potentially like back pay that needs to be made. That could be upwards of like 
billions of dollars if right. the if the players were to win the suit but it would probably be years before anything like that ever came to a conclusion um so i think it would just be easier for like both sides would probably prefer be put to bed um but unfortunately i think that like because they came up with what they did it's just going to be you know balked at and they're just going to have to do what they do so who knows We'll see where it is. We'll know uh, next Monday for sure. You know. Yeah. Hopefully, you know, the next forty-eight hours, uh, the the picture's a little clearer again, um, and I imagine that'll kind of be the new norm uh, moving forward. Um, same with the NBA and the NHL. Like, so we'll we'll have a, a clearer picture uh, probably by the end of the month with what these will look like uh, for sports to return to to our world. Uh, and I cannot cannot wait for that day to be here soon enough. Um, so with that said, uh, we can shift gears kind of back to that all wildcard era team. Um, just a quick recap since we didn't really do it last week. Uh, but basically, uh, Chris and I are putting together our, our choices for, um, the Cardinals and Yankees. So we're both building our own team, uh, for who we would pick, um, to represent the team from 95 through 2019, um, the only stipulations are they had to have played at least 150 games at a position to be eligible, or they need to be in the top five, uh, for games played at said position. Um, just so that way it makes sure we always have a, a good variety of players to choose from. Um, we had talked about pitching and like what we're going to do, but we didn't really fine tune those details or at least I didn't make note of them. Um, but it'll probably be like three starters and like two relievers that we throw together for a rotation and a bullpen kind of thing. Um, but so far we, we just kind of started at right field, uh, you know, number nine in the scorecard and we've made our way back through. Uh, so we filled out our outfield as well as our shortstop. And tonight we'll be getting into third baseman. Um, our, our Yankees team actually looks pretty similar. Um, the only difference so far is our right fielder. Uh, Chris took Aaron Judge, and I took Paul O'Neill. Um, but our Cardinals team's like the complete opposite. <laughs> so we we I both we got like what Jim Edmonds. Yeah, we and... both took Edmonds, and that was it. You took uh, J.D. Drew and right, and I have Carlos Beltran. You took Matt Holiday and left. I have Marcelo Zuna. You took Edgar Renteria at short, and I took Paul DeYoung. Um, and then to round out the the Yankees, we have Bernie Williams in center, Hideki Matsui in left, and Derek Jeter at short. Uh, so definitely less less diversity in our Yankees teams than our Cardinals teams so far. And I imagine that that might be the same result tonight. Um, yeah, I think the Yankees just, like, they typically have less players at the position so far. Like, especially, I think, as we get to, like, you know, first base and stuff. Like, it, it might just be different because they've had so many guys that played so many games. Like, so it just hasn't, you know. Yeah. The numbers aren't there. Whereas with the Cardinals, like we're starting to get into positions where we've probably had, you know, eight, nine people play since '95. So yes, yeah, it's been quite a bit. Um, so like every other position, I kind of threw together a quick little blurb about uh, the position we're going to be talking about. Uh, so I, I, you know, this is no different. So for third baseman, um, I didn't have a lot to dig in on. Um, but historically the position was manned by some of the best defensive players and not much has changed in today's game. Um, playing the hot corner is most easily stated as a position for the courageous. Um, 
you know, numerous situations where you're cheating in only to use your, your meek leather shield to defend yourself from a ball that seems more like a missile. Uh, backhands down the line, uh, deep into the hole to their left, throws on the run or from their knees. Um, third baseman kind of do it all defensively and often make it look easy. Um, some of them even have pretty big bats come along with it. Um, you have some of the baseball greats like Brooks Robinson, Mike Schmidt, to the more modern era of like Adrian Beltre, Chipper Jones, um, that kind of round out a lot of different looks to what a third baseman is. Um, today's game, um, the position's played by just as many makes and models. Uh, so you have guys like Evan Longoria, Manny Machado, Nolan Arenado, that have kind of cultivated the position back to a spot of uh, power in the lineup. Um, while you have, you know, like Arenado as well, uh, you know, along with guys like Matt Chapman in Oakland, that show why the third baseman's often the best defensive player on the field. Um, so again, on this episode, we'll continue our journey around the infield and uh, give you our picks to fill out third base. Um, first and foremost, we usually start with the list of eligible players on who we had to choose from. Um, I don't know if you have the list in front of you or if you just want me to, to list it off. Uh, I mean, I got the list in front of me. Yeah, so... Uh, you um, yeah, sure. Yeah. Uh, go, go for it. So, for the Cardinals, uh, we have Scott Rowland, Matt Carpenter, David Fries, Gary Gaetti, Fernando Tatis, Jed Jerko, Placido Polanco, Daniel Descalso, Descalso and Troy Gloss. And for the Yankees, A-Rod, Scott Brogius. Yeah, right? Brogius. Brogius. Chase Headley, Wade Boggs, and Robin Ventura. So I see there's a short list to that, you know, almost yeah. double. Yep. Um, and so I know uh, when we did the shortstop, so we had to add two guys in uh, to round it up to five. It is worth noting that these five guys all had at least 150 game played mark, um, although Boggs and Ventura were kind of significantly low, like just right at the cusp, uh, yeah. comparable to the other three. Uh, but they did, I think, like Ventura was at like 154 or something like that. It's like just barely hit that threshold. Um, but yeah, so it is really up to you. Um, I know you had a rougher day at work than I did. Um, and weren't able to get as much in uh, research-wise. So I don't know if you want to start off with anything or if you want me to go first. We don't uh, really have a rhyme or reason on how. It's usually just whatever we feel. So Let's start with the Cardinals, and then maybe we just go back and forth in players, and then we'll do that for the Yankees again. And then we'll kind of say who we land before we move on to the Yankees. But we'll start with the Cardinals. Sounds good. Um, so for, for me, like, I guess kind of going through my process um, – the, the first thing I kind of do is limit the list down, uh, especially when there's, you know, nine, ten guys to choose <laughs> from. Um, I kind of wrap it up. I had been going with four. Um, in this particular episode, I kept it at five um, because there was only five guys for the Yankees. So I was like, all right, I'll just, I'll just throw five out for the Cardinals, and we'll we'll go from there. Um, so I will say – so I'll start with the five guys that I kind of took a deep dive at, um, a look at, and like kind of considered within the conversation – uh, so for the Cardinals, it was obviously Scott Rowland, uh, Matt Carpenter, David Fries, Fernando Tatis, and Jed Jerko. Um, I gave a quick glance to like Gary Gaetti and uh, Placido Polanco. Yeah. That's um, all you needed was a quick glance. Well, yeah, Placido the, Polanco was wasn't a bad player. I mean, no, the, like, their their numbers weren't terrible. It was just very like they were they were very much like flashes in the pan. Um, like. 
Polanco came up in a time frame where like uh, like he he kind of filled in for Tatis after he got hurt and then was quickly dealt to Philadelphia for Scott Rowland. So it was like a one-year period of time that Polanco played third for the Cardinals. Um, Or it was like one and a a half seasons or so. Um, And it just... It's like it was very like flash in the pan, not a whole lot of time. Gaetti was kind of the same way. Um, their numbers weren't terrible, but they were they weren't anything to be like, oh my god, he batted 400 the one year he was here. It's like their numbers were, if anything, comparable to what other people did over a longer period of time. So it was pretty easy to make like to make those cuts and be like, okay, these are really the five guys that I'm gonna take a look at. Yep, that's fair. Um. So I guess I will kind of I'll, I'll go through the elimination process as I as I look through them. Um, so I so essentially how this worked out is like I gave everyone a look and then I was like, all right, like, who am I going to scratch off the list? Whatever. till we get down to our final talk. So uh, the first of the five that were removed um, was Fernando Tatis. Um, as mm-hmm. I mentioned, he played two seasons with the Cardinals. Um, I want to say like early 2000s when he was a starter. I think he came up like a little before then, but wasn't really an everyday starter type deal. Um, Could be wrong. I forget exactly where it was. Um, It was more of a novelty pick that I went with him just to kind of see like what, what some of the guys could offer that weren't in St. Louis long. Um, And obviously Tatis's career is highlighted by the two grand slams and one inning off Chan Ho Park in 99. Um, But that one game was to miss like the best year of his career. Um, so in that 99 season, he hit uh, 298 with 34 home runs, 107 RBIs and stole 21 bases. Um, and that one game also gave Tatis a still standing MLB record with eight RBIs in one inning, which is insane. Uh, and the yeah. fact that he hit both off Chan Ho Park is ridiculous to me. That's yeah, like, not pulling that guy. Yeah, that's that's like was, not even a three batter. Man. Yeah. That was just like a really rough, rough go around. Um, Sorry, it's your night. You know, you get out of this or you don't. Either way. Yeah, the the following season, uh, Tatis only played 96 games uh, in that 2000 season. Uh, but if he had played in the in a similar amount of games in 2000 as he did in 99, he would have been on pace to hit like another like he would have been right around 30 home runs and 100 plus RBIs again. Um, but was traded due to injury concerns and the arrival of Polanco uh, as an everyday star at the big league level. And then obviously, as I mentioned, Polanco was dealt to Philly the following season in a trade that brought Roland to the Cardinals. Um, and everyone knows how well that worked out for him. Um, so he, he put up great numbers. I mean, he was a 280 hitter. Uh, he put up like 50 plus home runs, 170 plus RBIs in his two seasons here. So he hit the ball, hit for power, uh, didn't kill the Cardinals defensively. Uh, I think he, like his, like, uh, OPS plus slugging was like close to 900 or a little over 900 maybe. Um, so he, he put up some stellar numbers, but just the, it being that strictly a year and a half is ultimately why I had him lose out in comparison to some of the other guys that were on the list. Um, I don't know if, like, if, if you did a similar aspect or what you what you came up with with Tatis if you if you looked at so, him any different uh no I definitely didn't look at him any different um 
I probably knew who I was going to pick going into it, so I still looked a little bit at Fernando Tatis. I love Fernando Tatis. Players. Is, is he in the in the five names that I listed? <laughs> the, the guy I'm the picking? Guy, yeah, the guy you picked. Is he in the five names? Oh, yeah, yeah, Okay, yeah. I'm just, just making sure we didn't have some crazy outcome. Nah, um... And I've been enjoying, like, watching Fernando Tatis' kid now play. Mm-hmm. And like you said, like, he was only here for a very short amount of time. And it really was kind of a culminating of, like, we hit two, you know, grand slams in one inning. Um, so I kind of knew he was going to be on the list. But he did a little bit of looking at it, but I didn't see any, any much different. He hit good, but, I mean, other people on this list hit good. So, Right. Um, so number four on the list, I imagine uh, this would be the first spot that we might differ. Um, so for me, it was very easy to get this person off the list at this point. Um, but I know you hold him to a higher regard, uh, and that is uh, one Mr. David Freeze. Hmm. Um, so <laughs> Freeze's career with the Cardinals is summed up really simply to one aspect. So he didn't do anything to deliver on anything except for a brief time in 2011. Like, that's really it. So he was with the Cardinals for five seasons. He was projected to be the starter in 2009 and 2010 and failed to either perform or got hurt. So he didn't do either before he had his broke, uh, his breakout year in 2011. Um, and then in 2012 and 2013, it was kind of uh, more of the same, like, Hey, you're, you're, he played, I think like a career high in 2012 for games played. And then 2013, he saw like another string of injuries, uh, which led to a relatively slow start. And then later that year, the Cardinals called up Colton Wong to play second, which shifted Matt Carpenter to third, which cut into Freeze's playing time significantly. And then he was traded in that off season, uh, before the 2014 season. Um, so five years, he, he did play like through platooning and his 2011, 2012, where he was kind of the everyday starter. He, uh, played almost 500 games. I think it was like 400, almost 470 games, somewhere around there. Um, not a, not a ton of power, uh, 44 home runs, 240 RBIs. So nothing that really like popped off the you know, popped on the screen at it, but he had the one all-star appearance in 2012, which I think was on the back of what he did in the season in 2011. Yeah, 100. <laughs> um, and so, obviously, he was a World Series winner in 2011 with the Cardinals. He won the NLCS and the World Series MVP in 2011 um, and had the, the Game 6, you know, like, here, here you go. Like, Game 6 of the 2011 World Series, which will be finally remembered by every Cardinals fan forever. Um, his quote unquote triple, uh, over the glove of Feliz or uh, off Feliz over the head of Cruz, uh, which was an error in my opinion, um, <laughs> way misplayed. Uh, but Lance Berkman had an amazing game, amazing at bats in that game. And it just forever gets overlooked. Lance Berkman just will forever be in David Freeze's shadow. And I feel sorry for him. Uh, <laughs> okay, so I don't think Lance Berkman is in by no means David Freeze's shadow. No one will ever talk uh, about what Lance Berkman did but, in Game Six of the 2011 World of the 2011 and, uh, World Series because of what David Freeze did in Game Six not, of the 2011 World but Series. But he's not generally overshadowed. And uh, so, I, yes, I. I mean, how do you not like a guy that um, when you didn't 
expect anything to happen, he made it happen, right? Um, so for that moment in time, David Freeze was the correct player to be uh, on the Cardinals, and we won a championship from it. So it's hard not to like that. Now, I will say some of his highlights come from his Emos commercials. <laughs> uh, you'll probably see him in some Emos commercials. Um, I, I also think David Freeze, besides like maybe a short time in an L.A. Dodgers uniform, probably had his best time uh, as a Cardinal. Um, it hasn't really... Um, he played... I, I don't know. I don't think he plays every day now, but uh, he played for the Dodgers a lot in a playoff run. Pretty good for them. Um, but, yeah, I also took him off my list pretty easily, even though he's a hometown hero. Um, and you know what we think about hometown heroes, thanks. True. He's a hometown legend. Like one He's a hometown room. legend! Um, on a side note, he, he was the kind of the centerpiece in the trade that the Cardinals made with San Diego um, that sent Edmonds to the Padres that brought Freeze here. And then he was also the centerpiece in the trade with Anaheim that brought Peter Borges and Randall Grichik, uh to the Cardinals. So kind of coming in and going out, he, you know, helped the team upgrade, in my opinion, because Edmonds was just kind of old right. over the hill at that point. So uh, Freeze definitely made the team younger. And then Grichik was the, the right move for the time um, uh, with, with the route they were going. So um, even... Even in leaving the team, he, he did everything he could for his hometown Cardinals. Um, <clears throat> so that left us with uh, Roland Carpenter and Jerko. Um, I did everything, in my opinion, to, to give Jed Jerko a fair shake at huh? being the third baseman on my team. Um, I said I kind of added Tatis as more of like a novelty to see like what some of the other guys could offer that weren't in St. Louis that long. Uh, so when that didn't really satisfy the itch, um, that's when I was like, all right, I'm going to add one more, uh, Jerko never really got a fair shake in St. Louis, in my opinion. Um, he was kind of brought in to be a utility infielder. Um, the trade happened with San Diego cause San Diego needed to shed some payroll and they were willing to eat a decent amount of Jerkos and the Cardinals had a log jam of outfielders and they needed to find a home for John Jay uh, as he was getting into like his arbitration eligibility. So they were going to, they were going to pay money for a bench guy and they needed more depth on the infield essentially. Um, so they landed in before the 2016 season. Um, uh, like I said, like they, it basically it was, John Jay went to San Diego in exchange for taking on a bulk of Jerko's contract. Um, and he was expected to be a utility infielder for multiple positions, uh, primarily at second and third. Um, he was here for three seasons, the like three plus seasons. The three plus seasons he was here for were 2016, 17, and 18. Um, the Cardinals failed to make the playoffs all three of those years. And they were arguably three of the worst teams the Cardinals have had in the recent past. Um, and he didn't play every day. So even without playing every day in those three plus seasons, like his, his stat line I actually read, like he played in 378 games. He was on like a 260 hitter, uh, 61 home runs, 173 RBIs. So the, the math I did was that if he had played in 150 games in each of those three years, and he, you know, continued at the same pace, he would have been putting up 25 home runs with about 70 RBIs each year which is pretty good production. Like, that, those aren't bad numbers. 
Um, there were two, two of the seasons that he was here, more than half of his RBIs were him driving in himself. Like one year he hit 30 home runs and only had 59 RBIs. <laughs> so if people could have just got on base in front of him more often, Jerko's numbers would have been pretty stellar. Dude, huge Jed Jerko fan. Totally agree that he was grossly misused on this team. But we also have to remember who was the head coach. Like, we didn't make smart decisions during those years either. I think really one of the smartest decisions we made in Jed Jerko's career as a Cardinal is when he started playing more third base and Matt Carpenter started playing second base when Colton Wong was being Colton Wong. Like, Matt Carpenter was the best second baseman on our team, and Jed Jerko was the best third baseman on our team, but that never played out ever. Um, so, I will agree with you. I, I didn't have to look him up to know those things. I really liked him when he was here. I didn't I didn't think we used him correctly. I don't think we brought him over here to use him correctly. Um, their right. high intention was to him to really sit and be a backup. Yep. And that's kind of what they figured, and he really should have been the starter. So they just never gave it that second look to be like, okay, well, this guy's better than the other guy, you know? So, right. So his, his numbers were good. They they were seller. I I just couldn't I couldn't pull the trigger. Uh, like I I had the balls to make the argument, but I couldn't pull the trigger to say. I'm I'm gonna be that guy, you know. Like yeah. I wanted I wanted to make an argument to be that guy for you, so I could just be be that guy, you know. So I could you could just continue to hate all of my Carlos picks, <laughs> but I could have pulled the trigger on it. I would have no, I would have liked that one. I I mean, I, in this situation, probably not the correct one, but I would have respected. It. Fair enough. Well, and, unless your pick, so you have two guys left now. I do have two guys. We have two guys left. Yeah. And if you weren't willing to pull the trigger on Jed Jerko, I highly doubt you pulled the trigger on Matt Carpenter. So let's hear your Matt. <laughs> All right. So let me find where what I typed out here because I, I wanted to make sure I articulated this <laughs> as, as best I possibly could. Um, so. So I removed Jed Jerko, uh, so this was probably one of the better debates for a position I think we've had uh, on the Cardinal side, for sure, uh, and Scott Rowland versus Matt Carpenter. Um, so both made it to the Cardinals for their age 28 season. Uh, that's the That was age 28 season was when Rowland got traded to the Cardinals, and Carpenter's age 28 season was his first year as an everyday starter for the Cardinals. <laughs> was, his, was his first year, you know, rookie. Yeah. Uh, well, he he had come up before yeah. then because uh, he actually came up in 2011, but they left him off the postseason roster, uh, even though he had a pretty good September for the Cardinals. Um, but it, so I want to say I think it was either like 2012 or it was 2013. It was like it was his year 28, and that's when he was the everyday starter for the first time in Carpenter. Um, so the but the the comparisons between the two kind of stop there. Uh, so Roland was great in 2004, hurt in 2005, great in 2006, hurt in 2007. Carpenter was good, borderline great, from 2013 through 2018. But as his power numbers grew at the end, his average dipped significantly. Uh, he batted under 250 combined for the last three years that he's been with the Cardinals, uh, 17, 18, 19. Um, Carpenter also played through the terrible stretch of 2016 through 2018 for the Cardinals. Same kind of thing I made note of for Jerko. Um, and after an abysmal start to the 2018 season where he batted 140 through mid-May, uh, he ended the year in the discussion for the NL MVP, um, but then that kind of got sidetracked by a rather uh, rather terrible September. 
Um, so some of that relates to bad luck. Uh, as Carpenter, he led the majors in percentage of hard hit balls. So 49% of his hits were considered hard hit. And he had the lowest ground ball percentage out of any major league hitter in that 2018 season um, at like just over 26%. So he was hitting the ball hard and he was driving it often, just wasn't finding holes. And I think that yeah. that was a big reason why his batting average suffered the way that it, it did. But his other numbers were so high and he won like player of the month in, in July and August uh, in 2018. So it was like through, through stretches, Roland was really good. And Carpenter is really good. Um, so it ultimately, in my opinion, like what it came down to was Roland strived uh, really, really well. He did great things in St. Louis, but it was with high caliber players around him. Uh, 2004 was his best year of his career, and he was part of the MV3. Um, so Halliday also had, you know, tore it up. Or Edmonds, not Halliday, uh, wrong outfielder. Uh, Edmonds tore it up, and then obviously Pools was uh, with the Cardinals at that point as well. Um so he didn't really do anything to make the team worse, but he didn't really ever carry the team. Whereas Carpenter was a lone bright spot at times for the Cardinals. Uh, he batted all over the lineup, like one through eight, uh, played all over the field, first, second, third. He would play outfield, uh, you know, when he first came up, just whatever he needed to do for the team. Um, and as such, like, I'm going to bank that Carpenter is able to form when push comes to shove on a more consistent basis. And uh, I'm going to choose to avoid the unknown certainty of Roland's health. And welcome to the squad, Matt Carpenter. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't disagree with your opinion. I fucking love Matt Carpenter. Uh, I think he gets a lot of hate. I like he doesn't hit against the shift like yeah and like, i'm i'm admittedly not problem. not big on carpenter like i've yeah. bashed him a lot like i and probably unfairly like looking at the numbers like not really paying attention to what he did and what was around him like i've dogged matt carpenter a lot so i'm actually really surprised that this is ultimately where i like where i ended up um but like Roland, he like he was just another one of those guys like i i get like he's a cardinals hall of famer you know the mv3 like he he was here for the, um, you know, like the, winning the ring I mean, in 06. If you're going to count it against Scott Rowland that he was around so many great players, then how, what is the argument when we make for Yankees players? Because literally, like, they had Jeter, A-Rod, Texture, <laughs> like, they had all these great players around him. So, like, I guess I don't see the, and like I said, I'm perfectly fine with the Mac Arbor pick. I got no problem with that. I guess I just don't get that part of the, um, it that it's like, well, he was around great. So, like, he was good. Well, so statistically, like, they they had similar production. Um, so Matt I, Carpenter won a gold glove a third? So, so that would be the only thing. Is Multiple from, gold gloves a third? Right. So from a defensive standpoint is the only thing that Roland did better than Carpenter. But, did he hit, like, did but, he hit 400 in World Series? Uh, did Matt Carpenter? Uh, yeah, did Matt Carpenter hit 400 in World Series? Uh, no. Hmm. No, Matt uh matt carpenter has not won a world series with the cardinals yeah so uh, so again so but but matt carpenter also was you know statistically has put up better offensive numbers so yep flash in the pan scott Rowland is good i'm not denying that yeah you know, again he had the best year of his career in 2004 not denying that but then 2005 he was hurt 2006, he had a great year. The Cardinals won a World Series. 2007, he was hurt, and then he was gone. 
Yeah, I'm not planning on my players to get hurt. I guess I'm, I'm just really not looking at injuries. Like, I get if they got hurt, but I don't, like, baseball players get hurt. They miss a lot of time. Like, so I'm just not, like. Yeah, not, but not, not, not a, it on, but some, on picking a team. but some, but some more often than others. And Scott Rowland is one of them. That's definitely more often than others. Uh, so, but my other notes, Matt Carpenter, I think he's one of the best two strike hitters in all of baseball. Probably before the last two years, like the guy, when there's two strikes in the line, probably is going to have it, you know, he's probably already had a 12 at bat, 12 pitch at bat. Um, I think it's that great in that aspect. Him and uh, Yadier Molina are two players that I love to watch take at bats because they're trying to hit the ball somewhere. I think Carpenter just falls into that, like we're going to shift him every time no one's on base pretty much because he's typically not going to go that way. Yeah. Uh, but I, I love Matt Carpenter as a player. I just don't. I also am in the camp that I truly believe that he is a really – I. What I saw when he played second base, like I, I wish I would have saw more of it. So. And that's and that's more of where like why I how I offset because Scott Rowland won five Gold Gloves in his five years here in St. Louis. No fluke. The dude is a defensive stud. Amazing. Don't get me wrong. But Carpenter also played first, played third, played second, and he did so pretty decently. Um, like, yeah, he wasn't maybe the best defensive player at each of those positions, but he never really cost the team games. Yeah. Like, he, yeah, he wasn't making these flashy plays when he was a first baseman. Like, it wasn't his natural position, but he wasn't going to kill you over there either. Like, it wasn't like he was committing, you know, 50 errors a year um, or anything along those lines. So maybe not gold glove caliber, but I like I'm not as much like – from an infield perspective, like I don't really buy in as heavily to like defensive run saved, because um, I I don't like your your bat's gonna do more for me, um, and I I think that Carpenter is just more consistent at that level, um, because Roland like he had the great two good years here, and that was really it. So it's like he didn't do anything in 05 or 07, so he just had two really good years, whereas Carpenter had six really good years as a Cardinal. Yeah, maybe I just secretly really like Whitey Ball, you know? I just want, I just want great defense, score some runs, we're going to win some games, you know? Yeah, you're, you're not you're not wrong. It's not a bad way to go about it. Uh, but that that was the offset for me. Um, I could have, like I said, it was a really tough debate on both sides. I could have made the argument to go either way. Um, I was just really surprised to see that, like, if you kind of remove Carpenter's first, like, that, 2011 2012 time frame that he was up and then get rid of last year so you really just look at like 2013 through 2018 um so like when like when he was kind of in his prime doing his thing as a cardinal on a team that was really really bad in my opinion like the fact that they played above 500 in each of those three years 16 through 18 is surprising to me uh but they didn't make the playoffs any of those three years um they just weren't uh like it wasn't they weren't good baseball teams here in St. Louis during that time frame, but Carpenter still hit. Um, he hit leadoff. He would bat in the middle of the lineup. They moved him around all over the place, uh, just different looks all the time, and he still produced. Um, and Roland, it was very much like he's going to be your number five hitter, you know, behind Pujols, behind Edmonds, and then it's going to be Roland, and that's where he thrived, and that's what he did well. Um, it's like Marcelo Zuna not producing the same way he did when he was no longer in a lineup with the, you know, the big three betting in front of him in Miami. 
Like, if you take Roland out of that lineup, I don't know what he does. Because, like, if you look at his other numbers, like his time in Philadelphia and his time in Toronto after he left St. Louis, like, they aren't, like, they're not terrible numbers, but they aren't like, oh, my God, he was amazing everywhere he played. So I think a big part of it had to do with he was on really successful Cardinals teams in the four years he was here, five years he was here. Yeah, I, I mean, so and I he definitely... Was, and he was hurt. <laughs> so, yeah, I for two of Scott, those four years. I definitely want Scott rolling here. Like, I don't think I don't think you're wrong, and I don't think I'm right. I just want Scott rolling here. Like, uh, I'm definitely not. I mean, I'm going to complete the pool's trifecta when we get to first base, obviously. <laughs> um, you, you just want the MV3 in your lineup, man. Yeah, cool. I mean, how are you... I guess how are you going to deny it, you're right? Uh, I do value defense a lot. I... I love watching like infield save. Like I thought Scott Rowland was a great player to watch third base. And don't get me wrong, I again like love Matt Carpenter. I just he, you know, Scott Rowland played seventeen years, like probably gonna be injured a couple of those years. He's a career two eighty one hitter, um, always a leader on the team, you know, which I think Matt Carpenter is too, but I think Matt Carpenter could easily be persuaded by like a Jack Flaherty, you know, whereas I think Scott Rowland, like when he comes on a team, like he is that leader, so uh, I like Scott Rowland here. That's who I'll take. Uh, but I, I think the Matt Carpenter pick's good. We'll see how it works out in the uh, in the outside the park simulations. Yeah, uh, for sure. Uh, well, I Scott, saw, like, Scott Rowland will get hurt, and like I won't have a backup guy or something, <laughs> so I'll roll in like no third baseman. So yeah, I don't know how it'll. I don't know how it'll work. We'll have to figure that out. Maybe we'll have to. Maybe we'll just agree up. Like if we have to have bench guys, like say they make us put them in, maybe we'll just have to come to an agreement on like who our our backup players are, and we'll have the same bench. Yeah, I think we were gonna go on like maybe guys that were on the list or whatever. Uh, and we can pick some guys from our list, but we'll have to play around with that set the park yeah. one day. Yeah, and see and what see it's all about. Um, so leaves us with the Yankees. Uh, not necessarily saving the best for last. There, there wasn't a whole lot here. Um, I again, I did the the due diligence to try to not take um, simple picks. Um, so I'll just kind of run through. Um, Obviously, I expect some of these names to mean a little bit more to me than to you. I think that it's probably pretty clear-cut on who your decision was, um, but I could be wrong. Uh, um, I mean, I had a thought to go with a different guy um, for multiple reasons, but we'll see. Yeah, so uh, again, so for me, the first thing, it was pretty easy to cut the list down from the five that were on there down to three. Uh, Robin Ventura uh, was just kind of an afterthought. Like, hey, he qualified. I'll keep the number the same. Uh, he was only in, only with the Yankees for, like, one-plus year. Uh, it was marred with tons of errors. Like, he legit was, like, 50-error season when he was there. Uh, I think he had, like, the lowest fielding percentage for qualified third baseman than his time frame when he was a Yankee. Uh, decent amount of pop, but he didn't hit for, for a very high average. I think he bat, like, 240 in the one season he was here. So, again, it was just like, hey – you you were you were a Yankee for a year. Congratulations. Uh, definitely well more well known for his time frame as a Met. Um, Wade Boggs, similar situation. Amazing third baseman. Arguably one of the greatest third basemen ever play the game. He's a Boston Red Sox in my eyes. I will never have him play on any team for the New York Yankees. <laughs> yeah, I figured that was gonna be. Um, he he's great. Like don't get me wrong. Um, like I said, easily one of the best third basemen ever to play. Um, his, his stats weren't terrible when he was a Yankee. Um, but 
I, they they weren't what he was when he was with Boston. Um, he should he belongs in Boston. He should be on Boston's team. Um, shouldn't be on a Yankees team ever. Like he's a Red Sox through and through, uh, and I'm completely okay with that. I I would love to have him on my team, but I just can't can't take it. Um, and like he was he was with the Yankees for I want to say like four seasons, but it was like the pre-strike years. So I want to say it was just '95 and '96 that really qua- uh, classified into what we were looking at. But I think he was also there in like '92 and '93. Um, but I was like, all right, easy to remove him. Um, so quickly that leaves it with uh, Alex Rodriguez, Scott Brocious, and Chase Headley. Um, Headley was next to go off the list. Um, I would have been a much bigger fan of Chase Headley had the Yankees done what I thought they should have done at the time frame. So the Chase Headley saga basically came about. Um, so Aaron Boone hit the, the huge... Um, 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 well, Jesus, I can't even think of his name. Uh, the the big home run or whatever um, in, like, uh, previous years. He gets hurt, and it kind of leaves an opening to, like, hey, we're, we're going to have someone to fill this void. Or, sorry, no, no. Got the, I'm getting these confused. Um, so I'm confusing the A-Rod joining with Headley joining because uh, A-Rod had something to do with both. So heavily joined um, at the trade deadline in 2014. That was the year that Rodriguez was suspended for PDs. So he wasn't going to be there. So it was known at the beginning of the year, the Yankees weren't going to have a third baseman all year. And Chase heavily was a free agent at the end of 2014 season. So it made the most sense for the Yankees just to trade for him in the off season and then let him leave uh, after, you know, through free agency after the 2014 season or if, if A-Rod was going to come back, or if A-Rod wasn't, which would have been ideal in my opinion, then uh, just with all the nonsense that's going on with him, you could have re-signed Headley at that point, and you have a high-end third baseman, whatever. So it would have worked out great. Um, instead, rather than sign him as a free agent, they trade for him at the trade deadline in 2014, and then instead of keeping one of them, they decide to keep both, and they give Headley a fat four-year deal. Um, <laughs> and he just didn't really do anything. His numbers weren't terrible, uh, but he was like a 10 to 15 home run guy. Uh, his RBI numbers weren't really there. He just didn't hit the same way in New York as he did in San Diego, and it all fell to crap. So I was super excited when they got him, but I wanted them to get him five months earlier, and I wanted them to get rid of him two years earlier. Uh, the one saving grace is we traded him back to San Diego uh, after giving him that terrible contract, and San Diego ate a whole bunch of that contract. So at least we got rid of him for the last year. Baseball owners are so ridiculous. Yeah. So uh, it, it, I was a big fan of Chase Headley. I was on the the Chase Headley bandwagon on the Chase Headley train. I wanted him to be brought here just earlier than what he was, and I wanted him to leave earlier than what he did. Um, so he's in the conversation, but it was an easy removal from this list. Um, so really that leaves uh, A-Rod and Brocious, and it was interesting that you made the comment that, um, like, that I brought up the point that Scott Rowland put up the numbers that he did because he was surrounded by really good teams, um, and Carpenter put up the numbers that he did, which were similar, while surrounded around, uh, surrounded by teams that didn't really perform um, so that's really the big difference between A-Rod and Brocious is one was a winner and one didn't. Um, 
So A-Rod, 12 seasons with the Yankees. Um, statistically, like, his numbers are stellar. He hit a bunch all the time. Um, he, he joined in 2004. Um, Aaron Boone hit the 2003 uh, ALCS walk-off home run off uh, Tim Wakefield. And then he got hurt in that offseason um, playing basketball or whatever. So he was going to be out for 2004. And that's when the Yankees decided to trade for A-Rod. Uh, they traded Alfonso Soriano to the Rangers for him. Uh, which I was a huge Soriano fan, so I was kind of not happy about that. Um, but he hit a lot all the time, especially right when he joined the Yankees. His numbers were insane. He won three MVP awards. Um, just crushed the ball. Obviously, all of that's kind of marred because of the PED usage, so take it for what you will. Um, I'm not real big on the, like, oh, you use steroids, you're dead to me. So. A-Rod, I think, falls in a little, like, for some reason to me, it's not, and I don't, and I don't really care that he honestly took steroids, it's not that big of a deal to me. I think he just falls in a different category because of how much money he made. Correct. Uh, and the link to that, like, if he didn't make $500 million, and no, those are two teams signing the kid to two ridiculous contracts. Yes. And, like, good on him that, like, he right. was that person, but... His is just marred by the amount of money that he took from other people while it's blatantly lying to them. Correct. It's the way he handled it. the The guy is a douche. Like oh, yeah. there's no guy. like I don't think he's a good person. Um, he has some baseball intelligence. I I honestly don't mind him and David Ortiz doing the ESPN stuff. Um, they're enjoyable to watch. I like the banner that they have. Like I I don't mind it. I don't hate it. Um, there's apparently rumor that he's part of a buying partner for the New York Mets. Um. May, I don't know that that's a good move for him, but we'll see what happens, whatever. Um, Did Jeter owns a team? Yeah. Hey, Rob's been on our team. Dude. I know. Uh, um, but so so basically, so outside the PD, I mean, he, he crossed the ball 12 years. He batted like 280, but 350 home runs, which is like 30 a year, 1,100 RBIs, which is 90-plus a year, seven all-star, game, uh, seven all-star teams, two MVPs. He won a World Series. Um, in 2009, but that's the, the real big take back, uh, is one title in 12 years just doesn't make people smile in the Bronx. Um, and that was like the, the, why it wasn't successful. Um, if we win, you know, three or four rings in his time frame in New York, I think everyone feels differently about A-Rod. Um, whereas on the other hand, you have Scott Brocious, who statistically really isn't all that great, uh, four four seasons he was with the yankees from 98 through uh 2001 um played like 540 games he was like a 265 hitter uh averaged like 16 home runs a year 70 rbis you know a lot of that was because he was batting in a lineup with jeter and williams and o'neill and posada and the core four and that's what they were there but all all Brocious really did is win. He was in New York for four years. He won yeah. three rings. The other was a they lost game seven on a walk off uh, hit by Luis Gonzalez. Fuck you, Luis Gonzalez. Yeah. Um, Dude, so, and he man, batted three fourteen in twenty World Series games. Yeah, it's like, like I get it. Like he wasn't that like overly like aesthetic in the regular season, but he showed up to postseason. Yeah, it's like he he just was a run of the mill. You knew what you were gonna get every time he went out. Um, he had the huge uh, game five 
two out, two run home run, kind of like David Freeze asked to send the game to extras. Um, the night before, Tino Martinez did the same thing off Binyan Kim uh, in Arizona, and that's what set up Jeter's Mr. November walk-off. Uh, so just he's just part of that Yankees dynasty, and so it was he'll always be near and dear to my heart because he was there for all of it. Like Scott Brocious was the third baseman of the New York Yankees. When I became a Yankees fan, uh, as Brocious and Jeter on the left side of the infield night after night, playoff game after playoff game. Uh, and it, it was great. Um, with that being said, um, the steroids don't bother me that much. And a rod was a goddamn monster. Um, so I went with him for my third baseman. Uh, the dude just, hit and hit and hit and I'm okay with the PEDs because uh, there's been plenty of people that use steroids that didn't put up A-Rod numbers um, so good on him he got paid, he's an asshole he's a piece of shit but he'll be my third baseman for the New York Yankees any nice. day nice. so I think I was with you like I was surprised that there was another third baseman not named Alex Rodriguez that I could really even consider in Scott Brocious um and like like how accoladed he was in like World Series games, like you're just like his name's not like at the top of the list for Yankees players. Yeah, so like, it was really surprising to look at it, but it's a name that like the like Scott Brocious is a name that like the average baseball fan I wouldn't expect to recognize as even a baseball player. Yeah. Like if you're a Yankees fan, the name means everything to you. Like you know him, like you you're like I'd easily buy that guy a beer. And he's your he's your David Freeze. Yeah, like like Scott Brocious to you sounds like a guy that you would go to for your taxes. <laughs> like, right. you know, he's not, he's not a, a high caliber MLB player. He's another one of those guys that was just a veteran when he came over. Um, I forget where he came over for, um, um, I want to say somewhere else in the AL. Um, I'm loading up right now. Uh, Oakland. So he played in Oakland from 91 through 97 and then finished up his career 98 through 2001 in the, with the Yankees and just, you know, batted, you know, he batted 300 one year. He batted 287 his last year as a Yankee, like just nothing, nothing extraordinary, like nothing amazing, but just, uh, an every day was going to play 130, 150 games for you. Solid production. You know, I, I can make an argument to go with it, but really it's a, a big part of why he got to do what he did, though, is because he played with the team that he did. Um, if the Yankees wouldn't have, like, if the Yankees weren't as good as they were during that four-year stretch, uh, you know, the 98 Yankees being arguably one of the best teams, that, you know, best single-season teams ever play the game, um, I, if he wasn't there for all of that and he didn't have the postseason numbers that he did, he you wouldn't even talk about him. Like he'd just be mm-hmm. a, another, another guy. He'd just be another ball player in a long list of ball players that existed. Um, so it, a rod, I think was the easy choice. Um, when I thought with my head versus my heart. Um, but Scott Brocious will, will forever hold a near and dear spot for me as part of that Yankee dynasty. Yeah. I have to pick a rod here too. I, it almost I forgot who else was the Yankees that I really didn't like uh, uh, uh Headley, yeah, the... Boggs and Ventura were the other No three. It was another week. I it might have been like the yeah, it might have been the the right field week. 
when I picked Aaron Judge and I was like, I really like Nick Swisher, but I got to pick Aaron Judge. Like, this is kind of like that. Like, kind of like that. Like, I, cool on Scott uh, Brocious for doing everything he did. I'm super glad that I had to look at his career. Um, and it looks like he's actually, um, he still works in baseball um, um, as like a player development. Um, I think he's like the director of player development for uh, Team USA or something. Yeah, something like uh, that. I I believe yeah. he's. I don't think he's like directly working in, um, like with a club, but it's still and in, and in still involved in baseball for sure. Yeah, he's the. Uh, uh, yeah, USA Baseball announced hiring a Scott Brooks as the senior director of player development. And that was uh, January 3rd, 2019. So I'd assume he's still doing that. Um, so great career. Seemed like a good guy. But I think I'm with you. Like, uh, if I look past all the steroids, like, he played the game of baseball. Uh, baseball's not taking any of his stats out of baseball anytime soon. So they're still there to pick from. Um, and I think he got to land on A-Rod, unfortunately. Because, like, I, I really do think he's a huge douchebag. I, I, <laughs> I'd probably rather pick Scott Borch just because I just have this, like, hate really just for like the amount of money that this guy made over his course and like he's not he's not that type of baseball player you know like it could have went to someone better like he's just looking like a better steward to the game maybe but uh, again not his fault that he got paid that much money and like you said the guy hit the ball and he hit the ball and he hit the ball um, he was good at third base so he's he's gonna make the squad today you know yeah he he represented like he he hit in seattle he hit in texas he hit in new york like he yeah. just he just hit that's all Rod did uh it sucks that he you know i guess it's it's cool that he he didn't really break any of the the big records that he could have um i don't know that missing the 2014 season really marred him all that much um, I think it was clear that like he probably stopped using towards the end of his career because the injuries caught up to him. Uh, you know, 2011, 2013, 2016, he played less than 100 games in each of those years. So, like, if he had stayed healthy, kept using his uh, performance-enhancing drugs, his HGHs, and everything else he was doing to his body, um, who knows what he would have hit. Maybe he would have been an eight-home-run kind of guy, but... Uh, yeah, it just it was it was done. Like, and he went out on a on a terrible note. I mean, batting 200 in 2016, uh, over 65 games, nine home runs, 31 RBIs. Like, it just left a sour taste in the mouth. And again, like the lying, covering it up, just being being a douche about it. Like he could have handled himself much better and just kind of <laughs> took it on the chin. Uh, Ryan Braun, I feel like, is a victim of the same thing. Like. Uh, Braun broke in a league. He got a lot of comparison to Pujols. He was putting up huge numbers. Then he got popped, and he lied and did things to cover it up and just attacked the guy that did the test and drugged the guy's name through the mud and got you away with it. You changed my sample. You changed yeah. my sample. Got, it's all that guy's fault. Yeah, got away with it and then got popped again and just came clean like there was nothing else he could do uh but it's it's yeah like like i i don't have a problem with any of the guys that use peds i have a problem with the way they carry themselves afterwards like if you were gonna if you were gonna be a piece of shit to do it like just just come clean like if you if you came clean like the whole like 
you know, Mark McGuire the same way. Uh, the Roger Clemens, I'm, I misremembered. Like, you sound like an idiot, man. Like, you know what you did. You know what you did was wrong. Like, or at least frowned upon at the time. Like, whatever. You know, like, uh, Pettit was the same way. I, I love Andy Pettit. He, he will forever be my guy for the New York Yankees. Like, big game Andy. Like, if I need a, a game three pitch somewhere, it's Andy yeah. Pettit's on the mound. Hands you need down. A big old shot of steroids. Yeah. Andy Pettit, your guy. Yeah, no, no doubt. I, I will love him through and through. Um, I met him uh, when he pitched for Houston. Uh, he came into the uh, the AT and T store I worked at at the Galleria. Uh, him, Berkman, uh, two other guys. Um, it's like I, I met him there. Got his autograph. I don't know where it's at now because I'm terrible at keeping track of things like that. Wow, but, uh, dude. You're gonna lose the man's autograph. <laughs> yeah, I mean I'm sure it's around here somewhere in one of my on boxes. Most, like, but on the most like chance encounters every like he's in St. Louis, you're and he comes to the store you're working. Well, to to be fair, at the time when he was there, the Astros were in the NL Central, so he was in St. Louis, you know often. Ten ten times a year at least. Yeah, but how many times do you think he was in a cell phone store? <laughs> I have no idea. At least once, yeah. that's all I know of. Uh, but I was I was a knucklehead kid back then. I didn't know any better, and I thought it was cool, and I got it. And then I moved like I've moved six times since then, probably. Yeah. So it's probably just lost in the shuffle somewhere. Pretty much. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I uh, I I know before we went live, we had talked about that we thought this would be a quick show. We're nearing the 140 mark. Hey, we're, hour 140. 40. we're a 140 podcast. You know, we're if we're nothing else, we're consistent. Just own it. You know, we're a 140. Uh, yeah, I felt, uh, but but a lot of good stuff. Um, we're getting more in depth. It would, we could easily just real quick be like, this is who we picked. This is why, and that's it. Uh, but we're shining some light on some on you know some some forgotten gems. The of, Scott Brocious of the world. Yeah, man. yeah, we're we're giving them the limelight and their we're due not, diligence. We're not we're not picking them. <laughs> yeah, the Jed, <laughs> the Jed Jerkos and Scott Brocious of the world. We're letting them know that we appreciate them while we pick the Alex Rodriguez of the world. Like, hey, Scott, maybe you could start on my team if you cheated. Dude, the way you went into Scott Brocious, I was like, man, like. I thought about picking him, but then I just like, as far as like winning goes, I don't, I don't think like, like at least in the simulated game with like where stats matter, I just think Alex Rodriguez fares better in that environment. I agree. But, but like the way you talked him up, I'm like, damn, I'm going to be the asshole to pick A-Rod. Damn it. <laughs> and then you were like, but I'm going to go with A-Rod. Yeah. I'm like, all right, cool. You did it too. Perfect. Yeah. I'm yeah I mean, maybe, maybe if I was one of those guys that like hated fun, you know, like, and I was like, oh, don't flip your bat. And, you know, players shouldn't charge the mound. And there shouldn't be celebrations for when you hit a walk-off home run, which I think they should. Just like there's touchdown dances, I think teams should have choreographed celebrations for walk-off home runs. I think it would be amazing. The Brewers did it for a year, and I thought it was great. I'm uh, all I'm all cool for celebrations unless your name's Juan Soto, and I'm tired of that kid already. So. Uh, yeah, like, I, I guess – I, I guess I'm cool with celebrations, but not in the matter that's going to show up the opponent. Like, you know, there, like like any team sporting event, there should be a certain amount of respect shown for your teammates, uh, or for your teammates and for your opponents. Um, I think it's weird that like players don't really like, like I and I guess I don't know that baseball doesn't do it. Um, 
But, like, I've always thought it was really cool. Like, at the end of, like, a, an NHL playoff series, when a team advances, they get their celebration, but then they, they shake hands with the other team. Um, and I don't know that that happens in baseball. I feel like you just kind of go, and, like, a regular season game, you always, like, celebrate with your team, like, on the field yeah. or whatever. But Your team rushes the field, the other team goes into the dugout. Right, but that's it. It's like, there's really not that respect. It's like, if you're trying to show somebody up, then you should probably be thrown at, like, the whole Juan Soto crotch grabbing in the NLCS uh, this, just this last summer, or last fall. Um, that was excessive. Um, I'm all for the hawking. Like, if you want to stare a guy down and take a step towards him when you take a pitch and, like, get in their head and you want to go that route, sure, whatever you do, you. But the the crotch grab, like, the aggressive groin, like, at the pitcher was just too much for me. Uh, yeah. It was childish. It was uncalled for. Um, you know, but it was I'm. This is full on live TV. Yeah. And, like, I think the TBS is, like, viewing. Yeah, I'm it's like, just. I- it's the wrong message for for kids watching the game, stuff like that. But I will say, like if you hit a if you hit a big bomb, bat flip the shit out of that. <laughs> like, oh yeah, dude, bat you know, flip it all but, day, Joey. Bat. All, no, I don't care. Yeah, but I'm I'm also all for like a big strikeout, like a fist pump, pound in your chest, get aggressive on the mound. Like if you get out of a jam, you know, own that. Like if you come in out of the bullpen and you get a double play on one pitch, you fist pump that shit. Like you, you get amped, you get your team fired up. Like it's that's what it's there for. And players should, you know, if if a batter strikes out looking on a nasty curveball, just tuck your tail between your legs, walk back to the dugout yeah. while that guy celebrates. Because if you would have hit a home run to change the complexion of that game, you would have bat flipped the shit out of it. So let if if batters get the bat flip, let pitchers fist bump. Quit being babies. Oh, excuse me. Quit being babies. Stop bitching about pay and let's play ball. That's when, the, it, uh... when and where. It's the momentum changer, and that's what I don't like about Juan Soto's thing. Like, I, I don't really mind the hawking, like like you said, but, like, every pitch is not a momentum change, you Correct. know? Like, it's not an event in baseball, <laughs> whereas, like, okay. scoring a run or hitting a home run or getting that big strikeout or whatever that is, like, you taking a ball, like, he, like, pitchers are, for the most part, throwing it where they want to throw it. Now, and, so... and I agree now, and the situation can call for it that every pitch, you know, the momentum can teeter. Like if you have runners on first and second with no one out and a close ball game and you're taking pitches and you're hawking the guy in that regard. Cool. If it's, you know, nothing, nothing in the top of the second, <laughs> you're leading off right. the inning. You don't need to do it. Like there's a time and place, man. Like if you hawk right. every pitch, it's going to get right. old, yeah, but it's going to get old quick. But you, but you can definitely hawk every pitch in in and at bat it just doesn't need to be every at bat right and that like that's that was that's what was lost on me yeah and um, i'm definitely not going to take the argument of like well he's just a young kid be like i don't care like he played baseball his whole entire life he's in the major leagues like you're i get it you're a kid but like this isn't a child moment like we're not playing sandlot here right um, you're like, you're an adult you're a professional yeah. at this point care conduct yourself as yeah. so and that just doesn't you're mean old enough to drink afterwards doesn't mean you can't conduct yourself for, right for and that and that doesn't mean that like stick in the mud can't have any fun no celebrations or anything like that as we both said we're all for the bat flips we're all for the fist bumps we're all for getting your team jacked up like i've choreographed celebrations for walk-off home runs i think it would be great um i love the handshakes that exist in baseball like it is very much a child's game at, at heart and they should play it as such like they're they're living their best lives like some of these guys are making millions of dollars a year to play a game 
and that's amazing. And I, I, I welcome them for being able to do it and that it's a lucrative business for these owners. If I could own an MLB team, I totally would, even though apparently it's not net profitable. Um, but I, I would invest my money there for sure. Uh, it's, it's just, you know, like be, be professional, be respectful. Don't have it about being showing up the other player as much as it is celebrating your victory, like your small victory in that battle. Agreed. Yeah. Like if you're going to fist bump every time you strike somebody out and you're going to scream like you just won the world series, that's probably going to get old. Yep. You know, but if you, if you have a big strikeout, like, you know, Wayno getting Beltran to in the 2006 NLCS, like that moment, do you celebrate? Like you, you scream at the top of your lungs. Like it's a big deal. Welcome that. Beltran hits a home run there, and that that series goes completely different. It's a walk off. Better believe I'd I'd applaud Carlos Beltran for bat flipping the shit out of that if he hits a home run there. When you slide into Trevor Bauer's DMs, you should ask him what he thinks of Juan Soto's crotch grab. I, I could definitely do that now that they're right. he's in the NL now. Isn't, isn't Bauer in Cincinnati now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So maybe maybe we'll hit him up like, hey, when you come to St. Louis, we'll we'll <laughs> we'll come chat. Yeah, yeah. Hang we'll out. Put we'll, you have on a, a, we'll have a drink. We'll get you on the podcast. You, uh, we'll be in one cardinal way. Yeah, but uh, yeah. So I think that uh, wraps that it, about wraps, wraps it up. for us. Uh, I don't cool. really got anything else on our list. Um, we we differed again on Cardinals. We're the same again on the Yankees. Not uh, really a big surprise. I just thought you hated Matt Carpenter. So I, I dude, I know. No I way I, I was I was convinced when the, when I started my research that Scott Rowland was going to be my choice. It's all I've heard. Um, it's all I've paid attention to. He's a big part of it. Cardinals Hall of Famer. All this and that. It's who, who I thought it was going to be. Um, and I gave myself the challenge of, like, get, find a reason on why it wouldn't be rolling. Even if I end up taking rolling, get, f- I challenged myself to find a reason why it shouldn't be. Um, and as I dug down the hole, like, it just, it, I I convinced myself that it wasn't the choice to, to be made. Like, Carpenter, is, he's just had a lot of solid years with, with the Cardinals and just, and I, I've been I've been at the first in the bandwagon to just shit on him. Um, I was all for Tommy Edmond coming up and playing and like Carpenter's a waste of space and all this and that in 2019. And but but maybe maybe there's something to be said for him. Like maybe they just find him a home and let him do his thing and like get him back to batting for average instead of power and you know getting on base, working walks. Uh, like I say he's a, a big two strike hitter. Like maybe get him in that two hole with guys on base and they can't shift on him as much. Um, you know if Edmonds getting on base to lead off the inning or Bader's getting on base, you know as a leadoff guy, maybe Carpenter's numbers look a lot different with guys on base. Um, and everyone stops complaining. Uh, the big issue is just if you if you're not gonna have Edmond play third, are you gonna where are you gonna have him play? Because you can't really sit him and your outfield's so deep. So and it's just playing everywhere. He's betting 346 right now. Yeah, it's like just 10 bombs. Dude, it's he's, a log, he's playing anywhere. A log jam, a log jam of potential talent um, that you have a, a lot of guys with long leashes because they're young. But where do you find at bats for all of them? Um, and I honestly think that a condensed season with four stubble headers and stuff like that gives the Cardinals a great opportunity to get a look at a lot of these guys in big league and, situations. And a DH. 
Uh, and and a potential DH. Um, so I, I think the Cardinals are set up to be successful. They have a lot of uh, starting uh, starting pitching that's uh, MLB caliber level. Um, you know, with a, a lot of the guys that are that were expected to be in Memphis. So like they they're just in a in a good spot. Like I honestly think that if in a shortened season the St. Louis Cardinals can be a very dangerous team, um, because of just how deep they are. Uh, with that said, um, you know a shortened season could have some crazy crap go down. Yeah. Um, you're you're basically looking at you know everyone being tied at the 100 game mark, um, and then it being a dead sprint. You know. Uh, it, it would be interesting. I'd, I'd be curious to see what the standings were. Uh, maybe I'll look at that for, for next season, that uh, 60 games into the season last year, what the standings were versus where they finished up. Like, who would have made the playoffs after 60 games and whatnot. Uh, so may, I'll make note of that, and I'll, I'll uh, pitch that for uh, next week's episode so we don't go too much longer tonight. <laughs> cool. But, uh, yeah, so if you, if you tuned in, much appreciated. Uh, check out the previous episodes if you want to hear our arguments for why we chose who we did. Um, and then uh, tune in next week as we cover what it'll be second base. Uh, so maybe yep. some more maybe some more Matt Carpenter talk. Um, as he gets referenced, I'm sure, in that time frame, he will be eligible at second. But uh, So maybe, maybe Chris will pick him there. Uh, but we'll, we'll see. Second base is going to be a shit show for the Cardinals. <laughs> it's going to be fun. Yeah, it should be a lot of fun. So, uh, yeah, thanks for uh, tuning in. And until next time, stay cool. Peace.